Everyone, welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, and it is such a pleasure to welcome you and to worship with you in this way. I miss the church family more than anything in the whole world, but I still feel spiritually close to you, and I know that we are still one in spirit and uh, devoted to one another in our prayers and in our desire to get together again soon, and it will be soon. Be praying for our deacons. We'll be meeting later today and talking about uh, perhaps uh, when we will begin to uh, gather once more in person for worship. So pray that we'll have wisdom and that we will uh, have the Spirit's guidance in that decision and also the, the well-being of our congregation and our community and our minds. So, so pray for all of us together. The service this morning began with that word of Scripture from Brandon Jacobs. He's one of my buddies. He is one of our church planters and the pastor at Alive Nashville. I want you to pray for Alive Nashville, but not, and I don't do this very often, but I want you to consider giving to Alive Nashville. I don't know a church that has suffered as much as that church has suffered in 2020. Remember before the global pandemic hit, uh, they had a tornado that came through five points in Nashville. Alive Nashville has lost their building, the, the location where they meet. With the rest of us just talking about what it means to reopen, They've got to start over, and they're going to need a lot of resources for that, a lot of prayers and a lot of support. So would you consider, if you have the means and the willingness to give, would you consider giving a special gift to Alive Nashville? You can find them on Facebook, or if you just want to designate an offering to Woodburn Baptist Church, to Alive Nashville Church, we will make sure that they get the help that they need. But pray for Brandon, pray for the folks at Alive Nashville, and pray that nothing will stop the mission of that brand new church. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. This is actually the final message in this Exodus series. And we're not at the end of Exodus, but we are at the end of this series. Next Sunday, I'll begin a brand new series entitled Boy's Life. I've never done this. I want to preach a sermon series directly to boys. And I'm talking, not really talking about men, I'm talking about boys. And you would say, well, all men are boys. And I know that's true, but I want to talk to boys. So if you know boys, if you can round up some boys, get them here, get them in front of me and in front of this screen, and let's talk about what it means to grow into the men that God wants us to be. Talking to boys, next Sunday begins a new series entitled Boys Life. But today, the uh, last sermon in the Exodus series from Exodus chapter 18, today's sermon is entitled A Visit from the In-Laws. As if poor Moses hasn't had enough to deal with now that he has crossed the Red Sea, faced down Pharaoh, experienced ten plagues, now his father-in-law comes to visit. I'm just joking. I love my father-in-law. My in-laws are fantastic, and they always have been. Now, I have to admit, like everybody else... You know, you start dating the girl or the guy, and they seem so normal until you travel out to Logan County to meet the in-laws, and all of a sudden, your whole definition of what is normal or maybe what is weird, you know, takes on a whole new context because your in-laws always sort of just come across as, you know, what? I mean, what? I mean, how did those people produce this woman that I love? I mean... As a pastor doing premarital counseling, one of the funnest things through the years is just listening to couples, men and women, in love, preparing for marriage, just listening to them talk about, you know, like when they first met the family, when they first meet the parents. It's always such an eye-opening, you know, sort of terrifying experience. Your, your, your future wife's family just at first just seems so weird, 
They're just not what you're used to. And, and honestly, the family you grow up in always sort of determines what's normal for you. And so understand, wherever you go, you think you're normal and you're probably the weird one. I mean, you're probably the, the weird side of the family, but you seem normal to you. And it's just hilarious, man. I've, talked to, I've heard so many crazy stories. It's always funny when somebody who comes from a family who does not kiss on the mouth when they marry somebody and into a family where they kiss on the mouth, because like the first time your mother-in-law comes in and kisses you on the mouth, that is a really strange feeling if you're not a kiss on the mouth, you know, family. And this is the sort of thing I'm talking about. Man, I remember this girl who was marrying this guy, and then she found out that in the family that he's from, they used to share the same bath water. As in when somebody's getting out of the bathtub, they'd say, hey, leave your water. And they go get in like that lukewarm, like bat, like somebody else's bath water. Did, 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 did y'all do that? Is that a thing in your family? Anybody ever share a bath? <laughs> because we did. That's totally a Harris thing, y'all. I mean, that wasn't Casey. I don't know if I've ever told Casey that. But yeah, I mean, we are, man, we are so redneck. I, it sounds really redneck when I say it. Uh, there's another uh, guy who married into this family, and the first time he visited the in-laws, like, you know, mama, like future mother-in-law, she disappeared into the kitchen and came back out eating a stick of butter. Like, in that family, they would just, like, get a stick of butter and, and eat it like a popsicle. Like, that was just what they did, and, and they thought that that was normal. My son and daughter-in-law celebrated their two-year anniversary, three fingers, two-year two anniversary this last week, which means it's also my two-year anniversary as a father-in-law. There are no books. There's not a book written with rules for how to be a good father-in-law. I've just kind of got two basic rules. Marty, God bless her. These are the rules I'm trying to live by. Number one, I just think as a father-in-law, you're not supposed to butt in. I don't think you should butt in. And number two, I just don't give advice. Really, only unless they ask, and then sometimes not even when they ask, because I've just sort of learned in life that most people don't like advice, and they don't want advice, and even if they ask for it, they're probably not going to take your advice. So as a father-in-law, just kind of two rules, don't butt in and, and, and don't give advice. Which brings us to the visit that Moses receives from his father-in-law, remember him, his name is Jethro. Moses literally lived with his father-in-law. He lived with his wife and all of her kin for 40 years. And during that time, Moses literally was living the hillbilly dream, working for his father-in-law. Now, remember, Moses has left his father-in-law from the land of Midian. He left him. Moses has gone now, and he's been the deliverer. God used him. And he's led two million of the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And now they are back around. They crossed the Red Sea, and they're right there where God said they'd be. They are right there at the mountain of God, which means they're in the backyard of Moses' in-laws. So what do you know, Jethro loads up the pickup truck full of kinfolk, and they all come visit Moses. So Moses gets a visit from his father-in-law, who actually breaks the only two rules I got. Jethro butts in, and Jethro gives advice. The amazing thing is, Moses listens, and Moses changes for the better. 
And so it turns out uh, you'd be surprised what you can learn from a visit with the in-laws. Let's read this story. Exodus chapter 18. Read the whole thing, you guys. Exodus chapter 18. This is just so good. There's so many lessons here for us. Uh, See if you can listen and learn something. Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah. You remember her? Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Moses' first son was named Gershom, for Moses had said when the boy was born, I had been a foreigner in a foreign land. His second son was named Eliezer, for Moses had said, the God of my ancestors was my helper. He rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said. For he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. So far, so good. Verse 13. Next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, Well, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. I'm the one. I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me. And let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions, show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide that the smaller matters themselves, they'll help you carry the load, make the task easier for you. 
If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you'll be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice. He followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. There's, there's a lot there. If you're like me, though, um, it's just sort of a, I don't know, it's like I forgot he had a wife, Moses. I, I forgot about her. Now, she popped up, if you remember back there in the early part of Exodus, this is really dramatic, you know, kind of a weird scene with, with Zipporah. If, if you've never read that, you should go back and read that. It's, it's, it's odd. It, it's dark. Uh, you sort of find out this, that Zipporah, she's not on board with this whole deliverance ministry thing. It, it sounds like she's not even really very in love with Moses, and especially not Moses as God. Zipporah is kind of a piece of work, and in that scene early back in Exodus, you really get the idea that they separate. I mean, that's where they separate. Moses goes on to Egypt. He does God's will. He sets the people free, all of that, but he's been all this time without his wife and kids. Is that surprising to you? I mean, it's just sort of raises all kinds of questions. I mean, Moses can be this great deliverer, but, but it doesn't sound like he's great at marriage. Can, can I just say that? I, I, I'm not sure about him when it comes to his relationship with his wife. I don't know about her. I don't know about his sons. I mean, but this is kind of my point. Where have they been this whole time? He leads two million people out of Egypt, but his family's not in the group. I just find that curious. Now, there are some scholars who say that this is strategic, that Moses loves his family, didn't want to put him in danger. And so Moses sent, sent her back to live with daddy and mama while Moses faces Pharaoh because, you know, if Pharaoh sort of, you know, gets it on, on his mind to, to do damage to Moses, he might go after Moses' family. So Moses is protecting his family. Yeah, I, I just don't buy that. I don't buy that because, well, it's safer now. And it seems like they come and, and visit, but they don't stay. We're not going to hear anything else about you know, Moses' wife and kids again. Like, this is it. They, they don't seem to stay. They go on back, you know, home with daddy. And so uh, Moses is out, out there without his wife. You know, I, I don't know how this strikes you, but can I just talk to the men for a minute? Because this is kind of a common theme not just in Scripture, but in our lives. Now, in Scripture, I just want you to notice this pattern because it's true for Moses and it's true for Abraham and it's true for a lot of, of God's men that we find in Scripture. And, and the thing is this, 
like all of the stories that, that, that you tell about these men and God are, 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 are good stories. And these are men of courage and men of faith and sacrifice. And they step out and they do amazing things out in the world. All the stories that pertain to them and God are good. But, but I mean, take Abraham, take Moses. All of the stories that you tell about them at home with their wives, with their families, are not good. I, I just, that there's something really troublesome about that for me. And, and, and I'll just say it personally and say it this way. I'm afraid that too often the man that I am in the stories others tell is not necessarily the man I am in the stories my wife could tell. I mean, how, how many of you men, you know, have this reputation out in the community, a reputation at work of, you know, being a kind, you know, funny, friendly man, a man who gets it done, a man who comes through. If your word is your bond. A handshake, man, you can be trusted, but then you go home. Everybody else in the world knows you as a kind, friendly man, but when you come home, you're the fun sucker. I mean, you come in and everybody's walking on eggshells. Everybody's walking around you because nobody wants to set you off. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the man I am in the stories others tell, the, the stories that the church would tell about me and how I sacrifice and how, how I, you know, I always do what I said I'm going to do. I'm always on time at church. I'm always late at home. I'm not taking anything away from Moses as a deliverer. He's a great man, a champion of faith. There's nothing to take away from that, but but he wasn't a perfect man in every way. And unfortunately, it sounds like um, he wasn't maybe able to, to lead his family the way he was able to lead the people of God. And I, I find that sad. And just personally in my own life, I, I don't ever want that said of me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Moses is not a perfect man, and he's an amazing man, and there are lots and lots of stories we can tell, and the Bible tells those stories. And, and, and obviously Moses is a man as imperfect as he was who was, who was still becoming, still changing, and, and still learning, and that brings us around to the visit with his father-in-law, Jethro. So Jethro comes. As I said, there's no real mention of a, of, a, of a reunion with Moses and Zipporah. If there's any kind of loving visit between husband and wife, we don't hear about it. It's really more about Jethro. But, but Jethro is heard. And remember, we, right back at the Red Sea, we knew that this would happen. We knew that word would get out. It was going to scatter because people talk. And what people have been saying about Moses at this point is, is, is amazing. And what people are saying about Moses is God. It's amazing. There's never been stories like this told in the history of the world, in, in the history of forever. No God like this has ever been told. And now the stories are spreading. And Jethro has heard the stories all the way back in the holler where he lives. He's heard about it. He's heard what God's doing through Moses, you know, his no good son-in-law. I mean, he's hearing these stories about the amazing things that Moses is doing. And so Jethro loads up the truck. He puts the wife and the kids, and they all make the trek out to Mount Sinai to visit Moses and to, and to see him. Now, can I just sort of kind of change gears and talk a minute about this? Jethro's always called the priest of Midian. 
And so some people assume that he must be a God-fearing, you know, a priest. Like, like Moses and Jethro must have, you know, you know got back on the farm and, and talked about the Word of God together. But I'm telling you, that never happened. Jethro's not that kind of priest. He's not our kind of priest. Jethro does not know the God of Moses. Jethro does not serve the God of Moses. He's not that kind of priest. Jethro is a pagan priest. Jethro has other gods, the gods of the Midianites. Jethro, if he's any kind of priest at all, Jethro got his ordination papers off the internet. Understand? He's not really our kind of priest. He's not really a priest in the way you think about priest. So Jethro's not a believer. He's not a man of faith. He is a pagan man, a pagan priest. And, and I remind you, his daughter Zipporah was actually very anti Moses as God and anti all of the ways of God. Zipporah was a pagan woman and, and Moses married her. Jethro raised her. So this is not a family of faith and Jethro's not a man of faith. So what happens here in chapter 18 is amazing. Because Moses is able to bring his father-in-law to faith. Now, it's hard. Let's just admit it. Most of us aren't really gifted evangelists, and it's hard to bring anybody to the Lord. It's hard to share faith. It's hard to talk about what the Lord has done. And it's sometimes especially hard to talk about spiritual things with family, with your father-in-law that you worked for for 40 years. And for 40 years, you never did anything for God. You never, you know, dropped a staff and had it turn into a snake for 40 years. Like, you never, you know, made bread come down out of the sky at any of the family meals. So, for 40 years, Jethro has known Moses, but not like Moses is now. Not the way God is using Moses now. Moses is a very different man because God has gotten a hold of Moses. So, Jethro comes around, and I think there are just a, a couple of lessons that you and I can learn about evangelism, how to share your faith, how, how to make this happen. The first thing I would point out is that Moses' everyday life puts God on display. See, Jethro has already heard about what God is doing. What God is doing in Moses' life is so much bigger than Moses. Like People talk about it. Like it's getting out there, what God is doing in Moses' life. And it's not bringing glory to Moses, it's bringing glory to God. People are talking about God and what God has done for his people. But I just want you to notice the fact that Moses' everyday life, it's, it's just what he's doing with his life. And this puts God's mercy on display, God's power on display. People see God at work in Moses' life. And that is, my friends, what we call a testimony. It's what we call being a witness to something. Because Moses has a very real life in the Lord. And it's not just like a Sunday morning life or not just a church life or not just, you know, where he's the one that says the blessing at family meals. No, no. Moses has something real. And it's so real that it consumes his life every day. It's not something that turns on and off. It's not something that starts and then sputters and then fizzles. No, this is Moses' life. It's the way he lives his life every day. And the way he lives his life every day makes people ask questions about God. 
my hunches, both you and I would probably be more effective in sharing our faith if we had some everyday stories to tell. See, it turns out just going to church every Sunday doesn't really give you any stories to tell because that's really not much. If Jesus died on the cross, gave you his Holy Spirit and saved you just so you could sit in a pew on Sunday morning or sit in front of a screen during a pandemic, then I'm not even sure that was worth the blood of Jesus. I think that what Jesus intended for your life is something so much more than just maybe where he gets one day out of the week or less, one hour of your week. I think that the point I'm trying to say is if we really lived for Jesus, if we really walked with Jesus, if we really moved in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we spoke the words that he would have us to say, if we would do the things that he calls us to do, I think that we would have a story to tell. I think that we would have something to say. I think people would come to us and be asking, what is it about you? What is it about you that makes you different? Where does this peace come from? Where does this joy come from? Where does this amazing strength come from? You see, the point is, it's really hard for people to believe you've got something they don't have if your life looks in every way as empty as theirs. I mean, you say that you're a believer and and that you've got eternal life and you've got the Holy Spirit But your family's going to pot just like people that don't have Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why would anybody believe you've got something they need when your life looks exactly like theirs? You say the same words on the golf course that all the other guys say. You hear what I'm saying? I think that the power of Jesus in our lives is supposed to make some kind of difference. But our lives aren't different enough. Moses' life was different. The power of God was evident upon him. And I'm not saying you're going to be Moses. God had Moses. He raised up Moses. He did what he wanted to do with Moses. God wants to do what he wants to do with you. It'll be a new story. It'll be something that's uniquely your purpose. God's will for your life. But you've got to live for him. You've got to let him have your life. You've got to surrender to him. The fact that we really don't have a very powerful witness it just really points back to the way we live lives that, that don't really require any supernatural power. I mean, what is it that you do in your life that you could not possibly do without the Holy Spirit? Moses lived a life that produced evidence of the reality and power of God every single day. And Jethro heard the story. So when Jethro comes up, understand, the way that Moses shares his faith is all Moses has to do is simply talk about what God's done for him. See, you're thinking, if you're going to share your faith, that you got to go out there and, and convince all the evolutionists that there's creation. Or you're thinking that you got to go out there and somehow convince all of the, you know, all the people with all these sexual, you know, identities and lifestyles and opinions. Like you're thinking you got to go out there and set all that straight. And I'm telling you, if you're going to try to do all that, God bless you. Here's where I think you'd be safer though. Why don't you just try talking about what Jesus has done for you? Talk about what God has done for you, because that's your story. 
that, that's what you can talk about from firsthand experience. It's called your testimony. Man, if you try to argue philosophy, if you try to argue science and creation and evolution, you try to argue sexual ethics, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's going to go for you because people can argue with you on all of those points, but they cannot argue with what you have seen and what you have heard of God at work in your own life. You tell your story. You live your life in such a way, you give Jesus your life in such a way where he has a story living out in you, and then you just tell that story, because that's all Moses does. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done, and what happens? Jethro says, praise the Lord. I mean, Jethro converts on the spot. This pagan priest with his ordination certificate from the internet tosses all of that and says, man, now I know. I've been a priest my whole life, but now I know who the one true God is. It's his confession of faith. It's his conversion right there. And it happens simply because Moses just talked about what God had done for him. You can do that. You can do that. Once you start with your own father-in-law, you can do that. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Moses and Jethro, for the first time, worshiped God together. Isn't that beautiful? That's good. That, that, that's really, really good. And then the next day, <laughs> the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. See, this is what Moses' job has become. Moses used to have the job where he got to like go into Pharaoh's court and say, this is what the Lord says. And that was awesome. Or Moses got to like take the staff and throw it on the ground and it would turn into like, like a serpentine monster. Terrific. Moses would put his hand in his shirt. It would come out, you know, disease, put it back, come out clean. Man, I would do that stuff all day. Moses would go out, you know, turn the Nile River to blood. Moses would go out and, and fill the sky with gnats or flies or hail. Man, that was awesome. But now, he got an office job. It's an office. He sits in a chair all day long listening to people. And they line up. They get there early. Like Moses tries to go through Starbucks, get, you know, get, get a latte, and then get to work about 8.30, and, and trying to get ahead of people so he can check his email and his text messages. But by the time he gets there, they're already lined up. People lined up. Because it turns out you get 2 million people, they don't get along. They don't get along. They get disputes. And so they bring their disputes to Moses because he is the man. He is the one who's always says, this is what the Lord says. So they come to Moses to find out what the Lord says. Two million of them, every day, lined up. They are there when he gets there. They're still standing there when he leaves. If he listens to him all day long, the line never, ever disappears. He never gets to the end of it. This is his new job. Jethro sits back. He's a father-in-law. He's been a Christian now for one day. He's been a pagan priest before that for a lot of years. And before that, mostly just a shepherd. He's just that guy. He's just kind of a hillbilly shepherd. He had some farm hands working for him. But for the most part, Jethro's just that guy. 
You know? So he's sitting back. He's got his overalls on. He doesn't wear a shirt. He's chewing tobacco. And he's just sitting there watching Moses. And while Moses is doing all that, Jethro just kind of, you know, spit down his own shirt. You know that guy? This is Jethro. And he watches Moses doing all this. And then finally Jethro says, um, this ain't good. This ain't good. Remember the law of father-in-law is where you don't butt in? He butts in. And he gives advice. As I told you, this passage raises some questions for me. And I guess one of my questions is just simply, um, if, if God had something to say to Moses, why didn't he just light another bush on fire? Because God has been speaking to Moses for, for something like you know, 16 chapters of awesomeness. I mean, God, you know, set a bush on fire, but it didn't really burn. And, and he just spoke to Moses, take off your sandals, the ground on which you're standing is holy. I mean, they had a conversation. Moses and God, Moses and God. God said, I will teach you everything you need to know. I mean, that was God's promise. You go. I will teach you everything you need to say, everything you need to do. I will be with you. It's God's promise. All this time, God's been whispering to Moses, speaking to Moses. I mean, God knows how to talk to Moses, and Moses knows how to hear from God. Every step of the way, God speaks to Moses. He says, I'll teach you. You'll always know because I will speak to you. I'll speak through you. So if Moses is so good at hearing from God, like understand, people line up because they know that God speaks through Moses. They know that Moses hears from God. And they line up just to hear what Moses would say from God. So if Moses has such a direct line from God, why in the world is he such a horrible manager? He's a disaster. I mean, he was awesome out there with the staff, letting the bread come down from heaven, parting the Red Sea. He was amazing. But now in this office job, Moses isn't good. This is terrible. Moses ain't happy. The people aren't happy. I mean, none of this is good. And Jethro can stand back. I mean, Jethro. Jethro can see it. This is not good. So if there was something that Moses needed to learn, why doesn't God just say it directly to Moses? If there's something Moses needs to learn, if God needs to develop a leader in Moses, then why doesn't God speak to Moses about leadership? Well, he does. He does. Directly. It just happens this time to come through his father-in-law, Jethro. I mean, God could have lit another bush on fire. I mean, God could do it any way he wanted. God could download an entire business school curriculum into Moses' skull if he wanted to. God could have sent him John Maxwell to teach him principles of leadership. God could have done it any way he wanted to. As it turns out, kind of just for fun, God decides to send the word through Jethro, the hillbilly father-in-law who chews tobacco and spits it down his own shirt. The father-in-law, who's never really led anything other than a couple of sheep and maybe some farmhands. I mean, Jethro. Jethro. His name, y'all, is Jethro. 
And Jethro now is standing back telling Moses, Moses, the one who just led two million slaves out of Egypt. I mean, this man is awesome. And now Jethro is saying, this ain't good. What? What? God speaking through Jethro? <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that just awesome? Jethro, Jethro. And the horrible part of it, man, Jethro just makes a whole lot of sense. Like, where did that come from? Well, it comes from the Lord, y'all. I mean, God can speak in any way he wants to, absolutely any way he wants to. And this is how he talks to you. He speaks to you. The problem is you and I just don't listen. We've been talking about this pretty much all year, although with everything that's happened this year, you're forgiven for not remembering a lot of what I've said. But remember, we talked to, in the first sermon series of this year was about hearing from God. We talked about how God wants to have this, this conversation, this ongoing, everyday conversation with you. And it's not just for entertainment purposes. God is growing you, always growing you. There's so much that you need to learn. There's so much that you don't know. Now, like Moses, you're very, very good at certain things. Moses, as it turns out, is really pretty good standing up to the political leaders. He stands there with Pharaoh, pretty good at that. He's actually really, really good at, at dramatically commanding plagues in the sea. He's good at all of that. Moses is great at so many things. He's pretty good at other things. He's, he's probably pretty good at deciding disputes. He's pretty good at that sort of thing, just sort of the one-on-one -on -one thing. He's good at that. But then there are other things he's terrible at. And that just makes him like you and me. It doesn't make Moses somebody God can't use. Actually, that's the only kind of person that there is. People like you and me that are pretty good at some things and pretty awful at other things. And that just means as long as we live, God's going to have to continue to talk to us, continue to give us wisdom, continue to develop in us what he wants to develop so that we can do his will. And it doesn't run out with age. I need to remind you, Moses is 80. He's 80 years old. He's 80, y'all. I know what they say. They say that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But as far as I'm concerned, the way that you become an old dog is to stop learning new tricks. And Moses is a man who learns, and I love it. I love it. Now, here's the thing. Learn a couple of lessons from Moses, and I'll go quickly. First off, this. I want you to learn to see every person in your path as someone from whom God has something for you to learn. Every person. Everybody. Just start assuming that because you don't always know because God is free and God is amazing. And sometimes God just shows off by bringing you wisdom from the least likely avenue. Now, I know how you are. You would like to have a really good mentor, maybe somebody wise and older, someone accomplished and successful who could take you under their wing and, and they could learn your, your, your personality style. They could learn how you're wired and they could, they could speak directly to you. They could pour into you the wisdom so that you could succeed in business and, and be a better everything. That's what you want, a, a really good mentor, a, a teacher, 
A father, mother figure, somebody who could, you know, really bring you along, take you under their wing. Can I just break the news to you? There aren't a lot of people like that in the world. There really aren't a lot of very, very gifted mentors available for you. Matter of fact, I'd say there's probably like none. But you know what there is a whole lot of? Just people. Ordinary people. People that don't know everything about everything. People that aren't all that accomplished or famous, never written a book, don't have a blog or a a website. People that you look at and you look right past them. They may not even have clothes that you admire. They may not even seem to know anything. In your mind, they may be the kind of person you'd look right past. It might be your hillbilly father-in-law, or it may be a, a kid in the class that you teach. But I'm telling you, you just need to learn to see every person Every person as someone from whom God has something for you to learn and then learn to pay attention. My goodness. See, the problem is this kind of information that you so desperately need to grow and to learn, when you hear it, it's going to sound like criticism. You know, I would wish that Jethro was a, a better communicator personally because how does Jethro begin the whole conversation? Verse 14, what in the world are you trying to do here? I mean, that's what the Hebrew says. What are you really accomplishing here? What are you doing? What are you doing up there by yourself with everybody standing around you from morning until night? This ain't good. That's what Jethro says. Like, like that's how he begins. What, what are you trying to do? This ain't good. What are you letting all these people stand around all day for, you know? Now, if I was Moses, and and I guess we're all glad, maybe you wish I were, if I were Moses, I would be like, you know, Jethro, would you just get back on your, in your truck, you know, and, and, and take your overalls and your, you know, kinfolk on back to the hills and the hollers and, you know, what in the world do you know? I mean, you know, Jethro's never organized a two pony parade in his whole life. You know, I mean, what business school did he go to? You understand? I mean, has he ever delivered anybody out of anything? Has he ever trembled before a burning bush as God spoke directly to him? I mean, all of a sudden, Jethro's standing back here like he's somebody talking to Moses, saying, yeah, what you're doing ain't good. I don't know what you're trying to do up there by yourself. Everybody's standing around you, but it ain't good. There's probably a better way to say that. And, and the information that God needs to deliver to you, the message, I mean, yeah, it's going to be criticism. It's going to be correction. Because you need to hear, you know, what you're doing, man, is a better way to do it. You ever stop to think that the way you're doing it maybe isn't the best way? I mean, I mean, somebody needs to say this to you, but you don't want to hear it. Nobody likes criticism. Nobody likes evaluation. Especially by somebody who doesn't really know what they're talking about. See, that, that's how our brains work. But, but Jesus wants to change the way your mind works. See, you and I, we need to get past thinking that we, that we know everything. Because we don't know everything. You, you know a lot about some things, but you and I have a whole lot to learn. So, so let's just agree to this. Since there's always so much you don't know, you should just always be learning. I don't care how old you are. Doesn't matter how old you are. 
you still got something to learn because there's still so much you don't know. I mean, I know, I know, and I love the senior adults in our church, and, and I guess in our culture we're often told that with age comes wisdom. Well, I'm 55, and I've known a lot of people. I've known a lot of old people, and I will tell you, age doesn't necessarily bring wisdom. To have wisdom, you've got to learn something in your life. You've got to learn something. And if you don't ever learn anything, you're not going to magically have wisdom when you're older. So it doesn't matter how old you are, there's still time. You can gain some wisdom, but you got to learn. You've got to just start assuming that anybody in your path, whether they're younger, whether they seem accomplished, whether, no matter what you know about them, just assume that they've got something that, that God wants you to learn, and you just learn how to always, always be listening, always learning. You see, God's trying to develop you. God's not finished with you, but you're not quite ready to do what he's calling you to do. And if you'll just listen, if you'll just learn, he's, he's going to work in you. He's going to grow you. But you have to surrender to this process, and unfortunately, it's going to look a lot like this. It's going to look a lot like Moses, a lot like Moses, who does the most miraculous thing ever. I mean, Exodus is full of miracles and full of wonders, but honestly, in verse 24, I think, and I'm not being sarcastic, I think this is just a miraculous thing. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. And that's what makes Moses a great leader. That's what makes Moses a man that God can use. Do you get that? You and I have to be willing to listen and to change. You have to be willing to listen and to change. You got to listen to wisdom from wherever it comes, and you got to learn how to recognize wisdom when it lands in front of you. It's going to come from all kinds of crazy places and crazy people. But I'm telling you, God can speak, and God will have a way of putting the person in your path that will tell you exactly what you need to hear. But you've got to have the humility to be quiet and listen. You've got to be willing to admit that you don't know it all, and that you are not perfect, and that you've got a long way to go, and that you're still getting better every day, because God's goal for your life is to make you more and more like Jesus every day, and you're not like Jesus yet. So you've just continuing to change, to grow, and this is what it looks like. All along the way, you've got to learn to listen to people because God's going to just line them up, and this is how you're going to learn. But you have to listen, and then you have to change. Moses just recognized that this made sense. Maybe it just took a simple person like Jethro to come up with a simple answer. Because really, really complicated problems can have really simple answers. Jethro was a simple man. He said, you know, just take my advice, pray about it. Maybe God will tell you to do this. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, man, take this big group, divide up into small groups, put a man in charge of each one. Moses listened, and he changed. That's what makes him a man God can use. I love that line. It's the line that, that Trisha called attention to earlier in, in verse 18. It's just too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. That's what Jethro says. 
This is too heavy a burden for you by yourself. What area of your life would you say that that rings true? Whether it's what you're trying to do at work, in the workplace, maybe right now this pandemic, always having to do everything from home or on site, just aware of how it's just a burden for you. You ever just get in that situation where you know you're in over your head? It's, it's a good place to be actually because that's where we do all of our learning. This is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. In what area of your life are you trying to pretend like you know it all? Are there opportunities for you to learn, but, but, but you're too proud to admit that there are things you don't know? I mean, I'm not really talking about, you know, trying to become Moses. I'm just talking about you becoming the person God wants you to be. There's not a thing in your life that he's ever going to ask you to do that he's not going to also provide everything necessary, including the knowledge for you to do what he wants you to do. But you've got to be willing to listen and you've got to be willing to, to change. Moses was not a perfect man, but till the very end of his days, he continued to be a man who would listen to God, would listen to wisdom from wherever it came, and knew how to change. In your life right now, there are areas in which you're in way over your head. It's too heavy a burden for you. Understand that God wants to lighten that load for you. He wants to teach you. He wants to grow you. He really wants to make you better. But you'll never be any different unless you learn to listen until you're willing to change. Listen and change. Pray with me. God, if you would light a bush on fire, we would tremble in your presence and listen to your voice. We would know it was you. We, we would recognize that voice. We would remove our shoes and melt in the holiness of your presence. But, but Lord, that's not always how you speak. That's not always how you reveal truth to us, Lord. Often it's in much more ordinary circumstances. There is no blazing bush in the place where we work. There are no burning shrubs in the house, Lord, where we continue to raise these toddlers, Lord. We continue to live this life that you've given us, Lord, and sometimes it is a burden too heavy for us. Sometimes, Lord, we become aware of the fact that we're in way over our head. So, Lord, help us to seek wisdom, to, to listen for wisdom, and to learn to recognize it, Lord, whenever you begin to bring it our way. Lord, help us to have the humility to listen to others, to accept criticism, to, to be willing, Lord, to make whatever changes are necessary that we might be more like you, that we might change for the better, be better, do better. Lord, this isn't possible in any way on our own. Lord, if we could be better, if we could do better without you, we'd have been better a long time ago. We need you. We are not the ones, Lord. You are the one, the source. So God, teach us to have a heart that is soft, 
ears that are willing to listen. Lord, break our stubborn pride so that, Lord, we will be willing to change. In whatever way, Lord, you would have us to change, that we might be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.